Welcome to South Island Hardcore. I'm Jack McEnroy. My co-host, Steve Walsh. Hello. And all these other voices are people on the bus. Cause, uh, we can't name our guests one by one. No. But if you're on number 15 bus heading towards Chicago Square on Sunday, the 22nd of December, welcome to the show. Today we'll be reviewing 2013, rounding up the year, if you will. You'll find uh, extra material on southlandhardcore.com. Not much this week, because Steve will be in another country. But do have a look at the website. There's uh, plenty of stuff from previous episodes. It's quite a, a rich archive. A charming archive. Twitter, at SLHC. And uh, you know what? If you've got a minute and you have an iTunes account, please just give us a little comment or a rating, because it does go a long way to sort of publicising the show. If you type South London into or London podcast into the iTunes like the more reviews and ratings we've got the higher up we'll be and then other people can listen to this that, that could be your Christmas gift for us yeah. and our Christmas gift for you is this episode mm-hmm. so you don't get a receipt with it there's no there's no exchange policy on Tap on Hard Farm Friends yeah. Firm sale. Merry Christmas one and all before we get started just a couple of bits of business I'd like to cover um, my friend Martin's playing a gig at the New Cross Inn Next Sunday, 29th of December. Show starts at 7 o'clock. When New Cross all began, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Right next to the venue. What uh, venue? <laughs> Who's on first, though? <laughs> Martin's in a band called Axe of Vengeance, which is a metal band. Um, I like the name because Axe of Vengeance is also the name of a Marvel Comics crossover from the 90s, where all the major villains swapped heroes, so they'd have, they thought they'd have a better chance fighting someone who was less familiar with their particular techniques and style. Right. Um, but this isn't the first time that Martin's... I don't even know if it's a, a knowing reference to Marvel Comics, but Martin used to be in another band, and they recorded an album, and I suggested the album title, The Extinction Agenda which was also a Marvel Comics crossover from uh, the 90s, I think, or the 80s. Sounds um, like it could be a Fall album title, doesn't it? Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? But I always said, like, if I was in a metal band, my thing would always be, like, like early Metallica, they were like, let me just like, wipe out every other band, just be so good that we just overpower everyone else. So I suggested it's a for an album title, and it was the title that Jeez. we were yeah, yeah. get, uh, Go and buy that. Steve will... Uh, where can I get it from, Steve? I don't know. Ch- uh, yeah. Here's the Amazon link, southhardcore.com. <laughs> You might not find it, you'll buy something else. <laughs> Is that this? I think that's our first ever feedback on the show, Steve. Yeah. I mean, if you want to leave feedback. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, on New Year's Eve, the Miller in the borough is having a New Year's Eve party with uh, DJs and festivities and fun. Uh, that's £5 tickets in advance, £10 on the door. Should be a good night. I'll be there. We've ended the year at the Design Museum, spending a pleasant Sunday afternoon there. It's not moving until 2015, so you've got ages to get down there. Yes, an update on a previous episode, where, which was great at the time. We said it was going in 2014. I had a great time, Steve. No, it's really nice. On the main, the main exhibition at the moment is... Hello, uh, Paul Smith exhibition. Hello, my name is Paul Smith. Yeah, is that what it's called? Yeah. It's just hello everywhere, isn't it? It's like walking through like one of your... Uh, walking, walking through Steve's psyche. <laughs> uh, yeah, the main part is like loads of prints and photos and paintings. Yeah, I really Mostly like prints. Yeah, from Paul Smith's personal collection. I think the idea is that you're walking around his headspace and, uh, and it's like sort of floor to ceiling almost. Like you have to like sort of look him right up at stuff. 
really good stuff there with it. Yeah, it's great. I like the screens as well. That room where there's like interconnected screens showing the same image, they're sort of blending into another. That's probably my favourite bit actually. Yeah, there's um there's a mini that he's designed. Yeah, that's the trouble. There is it does stray into um you can what's, sort the, of what's the British version of Americana? Anglophilia. Britannica. Yeah, right, right. There's that. There's like a yeah, like you said, there's a mini. Sort of going into the exhibition, I was like, I just don't want this to be minis and Union Jacks everywhere. Yeah. And it wasn't. No. It was just in a couple of places. Apart from that one mini. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's a wall of buttons, which I thought was great. Like there's a load of the fashion little hall, if you will, was good, isn't it? A load of mannequins yeah. and some right great Paul Smith outfits. Yeah, we're just picking up favourite jumpers, aren't it? Yeah. They even wear them. It was great. Really, really recommend that exhibition. It'd be on till March, I think. The floor above is split into the usual artists in residence or designers in residence, even. Which you know, it's all right. But much more interestingly is the kind of everyday design. What was the name of the exhibition? Extraordinary, extraordinary design in ordinary things. Yeah, something. There's like, like telephone boxes. Extraordinary and objects stuff. in ordinary things. Right, I think it is. but you get like. A, motorway signs but they're sort of breaking down the typography and the layout and everything design of post boxes yeah fascinating boxes. I thought really really good I was stuff a bit worried there. going into that because uh, someone had made the decision at the design museum of all places to replace all the eyes in the logo with exclamation marks which is unforgivable just bad but other than that it was uh, but yeah really the actual exhibition. works for yourself yeah, was great. really strong really, really good. So better than the last time we went last time was like a load of Swarovski stuff wasn't it and um, even the Olympic exhibition yeah. was not brilliant. It was good, yeah. but not as good as the Portsmouth one. So yeah, quite a nice way to round the year off, really, with a bit of culture on the river. We're doing this episode as a bit of a sort of local news special, covering the whole year to start off with. And sitting down, think about it. You realise, obviously, doing the episodes and looking at this one in particular, that the news focuses on negatives they want bad news they want problems because you know that's what people are interested in. no one wants to hear happy things that's not really news is it it's what you hope for but and we try and get around it in local news episodes, so i try and avoid the, the horrible crime stuff too much we've addressed certain things that are unavoidable certain situations and scenarios but i think the three biggest stories in south london have all been very negative you know the obvious ones are um the killing of Lee Rigby in Woolwich, the attempts of the government to close down Lewisham Hospital, and the Kew Museum fire, all of which are um, situations you'd all rather avoid being involved with. Yeah, you'd probably throw in the um, women held in captivity in uh, Lambeth as well. Yep. So that list. And it is, you know, it's like we try to avoid and show it being more of the South London bashing that you get from the mainstream media and people whose agenda is to sell South London as... Well, I don't think any of those things really sort of fall into that category. No, no, absolutely not, absolutely not. But it's just, you don't need to reinforce it by focusing on these things. So what I'd like to focus on is, is responses to those situations that have actually ended up being quite positive yeah possibly right, EDL marches <laughs> well that was the thing the EDL march was, was the initial response and you know paint South London as uh, a hotbed of racism and reactionary forces but in the longer term and in the short term you know the EDL and BNP have been opposed when they've marched in South London very effectively and over the last year I would say the biggest 
response or reaction you've seen to that is the fact that the South London anti-fascist movement is more active than it has been for probably 20 years. And similarly with the Cuban Museum, obviously it was a horrible situation. But I think for a lot of people it brought home the fact that there's going to be massive cuts in public spending. And similar to the recent incident at the Apollo Theatre, you know, something that wasn't mentioned too much on this, what people did realise is that a lot of the emergency forces that were on call for both of those situations won't be here in a couple of years' time if they get their way. So it sort of provoked people to examine what's happening with public services and think about it. Similarly with uh, the closing or the threatened closure of Lewisham Hospital. When you look at the news stories from the year, Steve, the uh, shadow of the Conservative government is over everything, isn't it? Depressingly. Like, you know, just flicking through the papers, things like the rising food banks, the fact that more people have got rickets in South London because of vitamin D deficiencies than ever, you know, all the kind of Haygate stuff, everything to do with housing. And like you say, Lewisham Hospital was one where, you know, there was a kind of, we got a small victory, didn't we? We did. I say we. <laughs> <laughs> we as uh, South London. Bad we as us. <laughs> But yeah, I think, as I say, the response that you get to these situations is as telling as anything else. And even with things like the Cuban Museum fire, you had St Peter's in Woolworth and the Old King's Head on Borough High Street step up to offer their space for exhibitions to continue and for you know the workings of the museum to continue as, as much as possible. 15 to Trafalgar Square. I'd say overall, if you had to look at what summarised South London in 2013 I would say radicalism increased radicalism, I would say that people generally are more aware of their rights and the actions of the government than they were a year ago because of these things that have taken place and the response you know, as I say rising anti-fascist activity uh, successful protests this terminates here Please take all your belongings with you. It's not a coincidence that Ed Miliband comes to East Street and gets egged. It's not a coincidence that Boris Johnson comes to Lewisham to talk about Lewisham and gets heckled for two hours. It's not a coincidence that Maggie Thatcher dies and people in Brixton have a party. You can't expect to act like this against working people in South London and then not see them do something in response to that. To, to, to finish this point on a positive note, You've also seen the creation of the South London People's Alliance, which is a group of people determined to work together to find solutions to help working people in South London. And, you know, people aren't working in South London because of government policies. So you're getting grassroots movements that are springing up in response to these terrible actions from the government. And that hopefully will be the legacy of 2013 in South London. One of the most obvious acts of support for Lewisham Hospital came from Millwall, who made a point across the season of training and warming up in Save Lewisham Hospital t-shirts. The club has strong links to the hospital and took a stand to support them. A mixed year for Millwall generally. Yeah, not been great, has it? When they appointed Steve Lomas as manager, a lot of people didn't like him because he once managed West Ham. And obviously, the situation you're facing somewhat of Spurs now. Yeah, he was West Ham captain. No, oh, he said managed. Yeah, Sorry. played for West Ham, yeah. As it stands, they're 19th. They got 21 points from 21 games, four points clear of the drop zone, but Sheffield Wednesday have a game in hand that means they are very much mixed up in it. I mean, that's all unfortunate, but Charlton, with Chris Powell, club legend in charge, are in the same league as Millwall, 
are 21st, two places lower, 19 points, two points less in, with 21 games, two points clear of the drop zone, but Sheffield Wednesday also have a game in hands on them. So Charlton are in worse trouble with a club legend than Millwall are with an apparent you know, West Ham agent at the helm. So, I don't know. Two South London clubs with much more positive years. Crystal Palace got promoted to the Premier League. Which is great, but also the manner in which they got promoted was remarkable. Finished fifth in the championship, had to play the fourth place team in the semi-final of the playoffs, which was Brighton, which was great for Palace because they uh, really don't get on. Nil-nil at Sellers Park, which gave had people giving uh, Palace no chance away to Brighton, but two goals from Wilfred Zaha and they're in the final. Trap on the zone, yeah. They're struggling in the Premier League. They played Tottenham on the first games. It's only Palace game of season start to finish and they were dreadful. Really being 1-0 with a penalty, but they were really bad. And there were people were talking about them sort of breaking Derby County's record to the lowest ever points table. But I said at the time, it's just that record is almost unbreakable. You're going to need someone to be sort of to sort of go bankrupt in the first few weeks of the season so Derby won one game and then maybe season. bankrupt in the last few weeks of the season yeah. <laughs> yeah it's just I can't see that record being beaten for a long time or certainly not by much but yeah they, I do, so I fancy them to go down but they've looked um, the thing is like as I say their promotion to the Premier League was very unlikely they finished fifth in the championship they used to yo-yo in Steve. Yeah, absolutely. But and like the goals that got them into the playoff final were from Wilfred Zaha, who's gone to Man United. The goal that got them the win in the final was a 105th minute penalty from Kevin Phillips. You know, you can't rely on that in the Premier League week in week out. There are a number of stuff on the players in the Premier League. Uh, we covered in episode five way back, uh, almost two years ago, um, at the all-time stuff on the eleven, and spoke about many of them that are still there. Three at Man United at the moment. And uh, regular listener and podcaster, Paul from the Rankcast. Let's give us a little summary of how they're doing so far. Well, what an honour it is to be asked to cover the South London players at Manchester United for South London Hardcore, one of the world's greatest podcasts. Um, you probably could have found a South London-based Man United fan, though, right? Am I right? These are the jokes, kids. Um, uh, my own personal South London connections. My dad lives there now. Um, I've never lived there, but I have been to Ballam twice. So I reckon that counts for something. Uh, the three South London players at Manchester United this season, uh, all England internationals. Um, uh, Wilfred Zaha uh, arrived from South London's own Crystal Palace uh, with some excitement, actually. Um, really tore it up in pre-season at United and lots and lots of talk that he was going to play a significant role in the first team, uh, which hasn't happened so far this season and uh, rolling out of control uh, based on what I can only assume was a joke in the first place. Uh, he's been plagued by endless rumours that the reason he's not been involved in the squad is uh, to do with his, uh, let's just say, uh, friendship with David Moyes' daughter. I maintain that that was just a joke that got out of hand and somehow made the papers. Um, but yeah, he, he's he's not impressed, it has to be said, in the times that he has come on for United. His decision-making is really poor, but then I think he's probably just over-eager to please and, and hopefully he'll have a big future at the club and uh, for the national side as well because he's obviously got bags of talent, as Crystal Palace fans will recognise. Um, I mean, I watched the playoff finals last season and he really was their key man. 
Uh, but it's just not happened for him at United so far. Um, and we do, we do hope that it does in the future. A uh, player that it's definitely happened for at United. Uh, one of my all-time personal favourite Manchester United players. Um, Rio Ferdinand uh, has had an absolutely wonderful career at United. Won everything there is going, apart from, famously, the FA Cup. Uh, Fergie used to say every year, do you know, Rio's never won it. Let's win it for Rio. And then he dropped all the first-team players. And he wasn't clearly that bothered about winning it for Rio. Um Hopefully, David Moyes will finally give Rio his FA Cup uh, that he's long deserved at United because he's won everything else. Uh, an absolutely fierce Manchester United loyalist since uh, he signed the contract. Uh, that There was some uh, brouhaha about some almost a decade ago now. Um, and uh, just, yeah... Uh, an, an avid Man United fan by this point. Um, one of the classiest defenders ever to grace Old Trafford. Um, reading of the game, absolutely unmatched. His use of the ball, fabulous. And and what a wonderful partner for Nemanja Vidic he's been. Uh, yeah, surely one of South London's finest ever sporting exports, um, if not best ever headwear designers. Um, because it's just a cap with a number five on it, Rio. It's not that impressive. Uh, sadly, that the once great Rio Ferdinand's fortunes have declined uh, this season. Uh, many people speculating uh, that he may have had his Gary Neville against West Bromwich Albion moment. Uh, a game that Gary Neville was so bad, he then immediately retired at the end of the game. And Rio's had a couple of moments this season where it looked like it might be all over for him. But he's, he's, he's had a few of those moments in the past. So maybe we'll get a little Indian summer out of Rio before the end of his career but it does look like this probably will be his last year at Manchester United but apart from uh, the really dedicated fans of not ever forgiving a player for uh, contract issues um, I think Rio's a very popular figure at Man United and um, nobody in their right mind would dispute his class Uh, which brings us on to Chris Smalling who's had a mixed season really Uh, he a player with absolutely masses of potential and and really in a lot of ways not just because he's from south london does look like he could be rio ferdinand's rio ferdinand's natural successor um sadly he's played a lot of the season out of position uh on uh the right wing at fullback um where he looks like he does a pretty okay job defensively uh, certainly when the when he comes into the center of the park he looks excellent defensively uh but the boy cannot cross the ball. No, sir, he cannot cross the ball. Uh, it's a real problem. You get attacks where Valencia will be pelting down the right flank and Chris Smalling will overlap him and Valencia will knock it out to Smalling and United fans all round the ground with their heads in their hand because uh, we all know what's about to happen. But that is not Chris Smalling's fault. He is a magnificent central defender and hopefully he'll get a really good run of games there. I think in Evans, Smalling and Jones, United are really well stocked in classy uh, young central defenders and hopefully Smalling will rise uh, to be remembered in with equivalent fondness for that other fantastic export from South London, uh, Rio Ferdinand. So, uh, thank you very much to South London Hardcore for letting me uh, do this and keep up the excellent work in 2014. Thanks for all the excellent work in 2013. Uh, and if you are interested in hearing more talk like this, listen to the podcast that I'm the co-host of, which is the United Rant podcast, which you can find at unitedrant.co.uk. That's a plug. That's all that is. There, There is very little South London connection to that website, except 
both of the people that uh, host the podcast have definitely been to South London. And uh, we both like Rio Ferdinand. Okay, Happy New Year, everyone. The highlight of Graham Boxall's year, and most Dulwich fans, Steve, the promotion in April. It was tremendous. It was my sporting highlight of 2013. Yeah. And I wasn't there. Nowhere to be found. Yeah, you? exactly. Yeah, I was, I was uh, working in the comic shop. Yeah, it was, um, it was a memorable day. For me personally, right, just from because I went to the London Coffee Festival in the morning with my mum, it was great, loads of free coffee, and I must have drunk uh, conservatively 12 pints of coffee, probably more, and then, so I was just in terrible shape. Just quickly, if you drink 12 pints of coffee, that's not conservative, you do realise that. <laughs> what would you have done if you are feeling free and easy that day? No, I mean, that's an estimate, conservative estimate. The compare and contrast Palace and Dulwich, you know, Palace had uh, an, an iffy season, got in through the playoffs. You know, a couple of close wins to get into yeah, really Dulwich, Dulwich. The playoffs would have been a big letdown, yeah. especially after the um, the Leatherhead game where uh, a wall collapsed. Did we cover this on the show before? We must have mentioned. I think we have. Yeah, a wall collapsed. The game was cancelled with Dulwich two 0 up with not long remaining. They replayed the game. Thirteen minutes, I think it was. Yeah, and uh, Dulwich lost the game, and to not go up would have been gutting. But and in the, at the end of that, at the end of that game, the final game of the season, where Dulwich got, won the league and went up, like. Last half hour, just before uh, Xavier Vidal scored the goal, it started to look like because it seemed inevitable. Get the day, you think going to win the league and go up, but but uh, with hindsight, I know this is hindsight, and it wouldn't, you know, win the league of champion Hill, exactly. Yeah, if if yeah. if they had got the level head oh, result, yeah. then they wouldn't have won the league of champion Hill. As it was, what a, what a perfect way to end it. Yeah, it was tremendous. Team. It was a it was a great day. Like we went to um, Dulwich against Tooting in January or December, was it? And uh, covered it in episode about 52, 51. And it was uh, Xavier Vidal's uh, debut. And, um, you know, he was kind of a fault for a goal. He was only a young kid. Yeah, like, playing that position on there as well, I think. And then he scored the goal that took Dalic up. And I interviewed him afterwards on the pitch. I mean, my interviews didn't come out very well. Uh, but the wind just hammered the microphone. But he just was not phased, really. I said that to him. You know, he scored the goal that took Dunnage. How'd you feel? And he went not bothered. Where I say Danny Carr was obviously quite emotional. Like, there's some photos of my dad trying to make his shoelaces. <laughs> and uh, Peter Denny, I think he had tears in his eyes. Gavin Rose, again, like, obviously you could see it was a huge thing. Like, he played for Dulwich. He's been bedded in the community. Even even Gavin Rose, when I spoke to him on the pitch, he was very composed and cool, you know, as he is. But, you know, it's just a great, great day. Like, the people... I've been... There's a couple of other Dulwich highlights from the time I've been watching. I've watched Dulwich. Like I'm not sure the year, maybe 99, 2000, around that time. But Dulwich won the I think it was the London Challenge Club or Senior Cup at the Valley, and they won 3-2. Dean Holmes scored directly from a corner, and that was great. You know, standing behind Dulwich lifting off a trophy, and also the effort getting into the FA Cup for uh, first round, and we ran on the pitch, and I was in. The, New suit and shoes. So I think my friend Peter's wedding. Like we left the wedding reception, went to the match, the pitch invasion, then came back. But there were so many more people there. Um, you know, Dulwich Jumping support has grown in the last few years. You know, without doubt. Um, you know, I met Robert's wife on the pitch. Guy came up to me on the pitch. Um, is it Jermaine? Jermaine Arnold, maybe? Came up to me and was like, "I love the podcast." I don't want to. It wasn't about me that day, Steve. <laughs> but I'm walking around with my kind of pitch. Someone's recognising me. Yeah, um, yeah. On the pitch at Champion Hill, Steve. One of my dreams come true. <laughs> but no, just so many people there. Like, it was just a great day, man. And of course, since then, Dulwich have been promoted to the Eastman Premier. But the difference between them and Palace is quite marked in that Dulwich managed to keep the team together. 
you know, players like uh, Hannes Tuma, Pierre uh, Adnay, uh, Xavier Vidal, key players from last season are yeah. still... Not Danny Carr had obviously gone, but that was yeah. Uh, yeah. to Huddersfield, which was already arranged. But yeah, they've taken the league by storm, and uh, we'll get back to Dulwich again this season, I'm sure. Currently fourth in the ESPN Premier. Yeah, lost on Saturday, which was... Um, you know, my dad's had the worst performance of the season, but you know, yeah, it was heavily raining. The e- they were playing the most easterly point of Britain. Yeah, wind was playing havoc. Apparently. My dad said, they, "You know, there's wind coming in from the North Sea. It's like, why are they not shooting?" If you'd like to read more about Dulwich's promotion season last year, there's a, a book called "The Only Way Is Up," available from dhfc12.blogspot.co.uk. Or you pick it up at the ground when you uh, go through the turnstiles on your right hand side. The Twelfth Man Scheme. By Neil or the other guy, and uh, what's the other guy's name? Stephen. There you go, <laughs> Mr. Desmond. And uh, yeah, six quid is it? Six quid. All by proceeds. There, yeah, opening chapter by me. Uh, is it? Yeah, first, wow. first chapter. Yeah, well, you know. So it's not what reverse alphabetical order. Is it? I think reverse quality order. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, all proceeds goes to Twelfth Man Scheme. So you're helping to fund the project that is Dulwich Hamlet. Fans putting their hands in their pockets to pay the players, uh, and you know having a impact on the pitch direct impact packet crisp being opened by a homeless man you know we're all in, in an underpass at the moment we're going that wrestling blog style talking on things taking place under other things <laughs> <laughs> there's a link uh, one of the stories of the year was uh, the skate park the undercross sport. <laughs> yeah, but it's sport as well but you also mentioned the underground it's perfect in other South London news this year the proposed closure of the Undercrofts as a skate park on the South Bank Centre and it's but it's moving isn't it it's not being really closed sure. down they're as far as I understand they're, they're still pushing around but as far as I understand basically the idea is they close the skate park move it to under the hundred foot footbridge and then take that space to open shops that then allow South Bank Centre to get a loan to develop their arts provisions which sounds great it sounds like the skate park moves a little bit um, obviously commerce rears its head which is unfortunate but at the end of the day you're getting the arts developed and if you're going to stifle arts development just so you're skateboarding the place where you skateboarded eight years ago then I think you need to have a look at yourself I may have oversimplified that but <laughs> another thing that has definitely gone away is the anchor from Deptford High Street removed by the council without any warning just uh, diggers dug it out one day and uh, they've, they've put it almost holding it hostage at the Convoys Wharf development which is a really controversial event people don't want any part of but it seems like they've put the anchor there sort of going yeah we'll, we'll put it in here if you let us build this thing which I don't think is the way to go about things no there's your council eh? people have taken to drawing anchors on the grounds where it once stood which is nice and there was a recent festival where a man made a cardboard anchor which sounds much better than my simple description of a cardboard anchor. When I say that, it sounds awful, but it's really good. And people elaborate. People covered it with post-its of support, which is quite nice. Well, you're talking about departures, Steve. Can I mention some arrivals? Certainly. I mean, if you were a sort of a councillor or you had some kind of municipal job, the big trend this year, Steve, uh, the last two years really, is fly tipping. Are you aware of this? Southwark is the second worst borough in the country for fly tipping. I have no idea. But I really feel like fly tipping is a victimless crime. Even maybe even helpful in the I was gonna say, jobs. But also, you're a big fan of... Uh, Finding stuff. Yeah, picking things yeah, up Yeah, I street. mean, I think I've given this list. If we did, When did we do an episode about Westmoreland Road? You'll have to dig back and find me talking about all the best stuff yeah, I've Yeah, I mean, you've, you've got Tabo's birthday present from the street before, haven't you? So. No, my dad got a Jesse Owens autobiography. <laughs> right, so I'm going to give you a list of four finds, Steve. 
and then I'm going to ask you whereabouts in, in South London you think they were found. Okay, right? I'm ready. Goldfish in a bowl. Goldfish in a bowl. Burgess Park. Dulwich. Dulwich? Yeah, so this is the kind of posh end of it. And I'd say the next part was uh, remnants of a cannabis farm and 50 sex toys in a bag. I'm going to say Deptford. Bermondsey. Okay, so close, okay. Close. The thing is, I don't want to pinpoint that one because it looks like I was involved, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> this one, this one is tantalising because it's so close to where I live. I was, well, I was reading with my Who? sister. My dad um, had a pile of Southern Newsers for me, and I was reading it to my sister. Eighty-five grand in cash. Eighty-five grand in cash in a bag. It's not flight pin, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Lost. <laughs> Lost property. Um, Haygate Estate left for a councillor to allow. Okay. Oh, so definitely an estate. So there's definitely backhanders uh, going on on the Haygate and the Aylesbury. Well, probably to help uh, fund uh, illicit projects and even probably approved projects that are taking place on there. A dead dog in a box. Battersea. You'd think, wouldn't you? (laughs) You would. You wouldn't, though, would you? Because if you wouldn't bother. uh... No, but they might, got, they might have got close. And then... None hit, Steve, none oh, okay. I don't know how you were meant to guess any of those. But uh, according <laughs> no to Sovic, the Sovic line is uh, you need to do the uh, right thing here. and uh, No, do the, uh, do the neighbourly thing and grass. Oh, don't right. Grass. Someone's yeah. left a washing machine um, on my, uh, by my flats. It's been there for about three weeks. And people use the, uh, the plug. So like, they wrap it around the door so you can't close it properly. <laughs> it's fine. You know, I haven't got a fob. <laughs> <laughs> on my estate people uh, keep leaving furniture by the bins and obviously the bin men are taking away the sofa so the management company have to arrange for the sofa and it all gets added on to our, our bill so they've put in CCTV now which is good on Twitter today uh, at the underscore lost underscore valley London, sent us there 2013 highlight a video he'd made so it was a bit of plugging it was great wasn't it brilliant absolutely brilliant we'll we'll tweet the link again yeah bed it into the website but the dinosaurs of the crystal palace yeah uh, kind of an archaeological it's very sort of kids tv lots of effects and dressing up but great really really good and just takes you through a really good concise history of uh, the crystal palace project in general and the dinosaurs mentions the dinner party as well which is my favorite part of the story so yeah, Kate Moss, not the model, with an E, the oh, author. Labyrinth. Lo- wrote Labyrinth. Labyrinth. Yeah. <laughs> um, released the book this year, The Mistletoe Bride and Other Haunting Tales. One of those tales, called The Princess Alice, set in Deptford. Apparently very good, I haven't read it. But also links into something that I was shown this week by Tom Oldham, or whatever gosh, sent me a link on Facebook of a BFI restoration of a 110-year-old film that was shot in Croydon. And it's a film version of the story of the Mistletoe Bride, but the film's called The Mistletoe Bow. Uh, and it's yeah this 110 year old South London horror film it's available to view it's available to view on the BFI I'll put a link on the website it's available to view on the BFI website uh, in full and there's a short version that they put up as well it's got a new score by Pete Wig sorry Pete Wiggs of St Etienne another South London band but um, yeah it's a really interesting thing to see it's part of their attempts to restore tons of films isn't it it's pretty much their role, isn't it? To yeah, they want to get on with that. Make it accessible. And another uh, short film that was released recently, 
Comics My Rock and Roll is a documentary that was funded on Kickstarter. It's about the sort of small press, alternative press scene in London, about the efforts to put on a particular show. It stars Jimmy Gherkin, who's been on the show before. Don't call him that, use his real name. I know, Dimitri Pieri, but for, for the comics purposes, he's Jimmy Gherkin. Oh. His mama called him <laughs> Dimitri Pieri, so I'm going to Jimmy Gherkin. Um, yeah, in the film, he's very much Jimmy Gherkin as well. It's him and uh, another guy called Peter Lally uh, attempting to set up uh, a zine fest in central London. But at the time, Jimmy's living in South London. There's loads of shots of them going around Goldsmiths and New Cross and Peckham, just trying to promote the show. So plenty of uh, South London shots in there in a South London setting. It will be screened at Gosh Comics on January 23rd. That's right. And it's also been entered into the London Short Film Festival in January. So it's going places. Keep your eye out. Big year for the show, Steve, obviously. South London Hardcore. Uh, Rolling up to uh, episode 100. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, live. Uh, You you know, we've really been doing a live one at the moment. There's a man walking past, checking his phone. So, you know, audience, not listening. But please come along. Uh, We'd love to meet you all. Uh, there'd be a, some tiny bits of merch available. No, obviously for me, like, you know, my daughter was uh, six weeks old when uh, the year started, so it's been a huge year for me uh, as a father. Uh, just overwhelming on an hourly basis, ten-minutely basis, Steve. Just, you know, I could barely condense that. give you a top three. Top three Go on, top three. Um, yeah, well, early on there was a time when uh, I was just marvelling at her, just staring at her. And I went to give her a little kiss and she sneezed in my mouth. That was great. <laughs> uh, very recently, no, a few months ago now, uh, we were watching we watched Eagle Piggle in the night garden. Uh, it was bedtime. It's very light, it's terrible stuff, but it's, you know, it's just so serene, like the music, the visuals. And so he puts, put it on and sends her to sleep. And um, at the beginning, it starts off with... And it shows a, a baby, and a, or a little baby and a dad or mum doing this little circle around the hands. And there was a time, yeah, we were just about to put it on, and before we put it on, she started doing the circle on her hand. You're like, this is amazing. I can't believe I'm watching a human being grow. I didn't really think that was part of her, but it isn't the main thing. And probably, probably my favourite thing. Again, it's just tiny little personal memories. But um, I was on the computer, right? It's just like midnight or whatever. And like the Keisha and Zabri both gone to sleep in the bed next to me. I'm on the computer. And I see this figure on <laughs> the corner of my head. And I look over and Keisha's like asleep with the cover all the way over her head. And Xavier is straddling her, just like riding her like a horse with his big grin on her face. And when I looked at her, she put one of her hands in the air and just carried on just like waving it, doing it, riding. It was incredible because I felt I laughed so much it woke the Keisha up. No, I have a baby. It's really time consuming, but like it's well worth it. I'll talk to you, Steve, not the audience. <laughs> uh, I'll do my highlight now, and obviously it will be ridiculous in comparison. But uh, it, it is a tiny, ridiculous little thing. But I was so excited to get press passes for Elefest. Yeah. Just little badges that I we could wear. Yeah, I still got mine. Because it was like, oh, right, we're, this is like another step, isn't it? Right, have I made it? This I've is... been from a press badge, <laughs> I've made it. So. And obviously it's all relative, but it was it was just a nice thing to sort of go. Oh right, this is this is definitely just nice. Another podcast you can listen to at the end of the year, the Avery Hill Publishing Christmas uh, podcast. Really enjoyed it. Owen Pomery steals the show, talking about owls. We trained him well, didn't we? 
yeah, you know, Tim Bird didn't want to come on uh, our podcast. <laughs> we didn't, we didn't train him. We take no responsibility for but, the outburst uh, of Tim Bird. Yep, he's on uh, their podcast. <laughs> but no, it's well worth listening to. It's on the Avery Hill Publishing website. Michael Gosden, real interesting president, Steve. Because he, like, he'll play dumb, right? But then occasionally he'll be making a witty comment and halfway through he sort of remembers his persona of playing dumb. <laughs> and then sort of bails out and sort of says, I don't know. Fascinating. I think he's got a big future. Not in shoe sales, which he's currently <laughs> in, but like, I don't know where. I think he could be sort of our, Podcasting. Gen- our generation's Andy Kaufman. So that bell, Steve, does it toll for us? It tolls for us. Our timing's up. Yep, southlandhardcore.com, at SLHG on Twitter, iTunes, yeah, give us a rating and a download, subscribe, tell all your friends. Merry Christmas. And a Happy New Year.